0: Hi, everybody. I'm Diane Brady. I'm here with Sean Henry, who's chief security officer of the cybersecurity company CrowdStrike. Sean, good to see you. I should mention that you founded the security practice and that you retired, I think, more than 10 years ago at this point from the FBI, where you headed up global um, cyber investigations as well as global criminal investigations, among many other things. So I can't think of a better person to talk to about the threat environment right now. I don't know where to start. We've got rogue AI, espionage, you know, ransomware. What's on your radar? Well,
1: thanks, Diane. I appreciate the opportunity to be here. Um, I've, I've been in this space for more than twenty-five years, both with the FBI and at CrowdStrike. Now, almost twelve years. You said ten, almost twelve. It's incredible how fast it's gone. That's um, right,
0: twenty twelve. You're right.
1: Yeah, but it. it What's amazing is I get a lot of questions often about uh, from people asking about, you know, what what are you looking for? What are predictions for for next year? And while there certainly are some um, newer things, the reality is so much of what we're seeing is what's been going on for 20 plus years in this space. Mm -hmm. um, It's it's really uh, quite frightening for a lot of reasons. First, because we've not been able to get ahead of it and stop it. And in fact, I don't think we're gonna be able to stop ever the um, access of networks by adversaries, nation states, organized crime groups, hacktivist groups, because the networks continue to get bigger. There's always going to be vulnerabilities in software and hardware that'll be exploited. And the adversaries are getting so much in return from their Somewhat limited investment in resources, the ROI is so substantial that they are just motivated to continue. And we can't physically get to the people that are doing this, so uh, this is going on in, indefinitely. I think that some of the things that we're seeing right now, and then I'll, I'll follow up. I think on on 2024 and dig into yep. that a bit. But some of the things we're, we're seeing right now are the just the continued exploitation of legacy technology, uh, and it's. Companies that have invested a lot of money in software and in and in hardware, um, you know, they've got relationships with certain vendors, and they, they've got a, a a sense of of stick to itiveness to that. Uh, but we're still continuing to see the software exploitation that is leading to substantial impact on companies. So, do you mean phishing?
0: Uh, what give give us well, what?
1: It is phishing is one way they're exploiting vulnerabilities. Uh, I think uh, a lot of the legacy architecture that we're seeing, uh, Microsoft is a is a good example uh, with a number of zero day vulnerabilities that have been attacked um, uh, just in the last year, uh, mm-hmm. over 900 different vulnerabilities and 30 different zero days in 2022, which Can- were exploited by nation states. And I just think it's important for organizations to focus on shoring up uh, the vulnerabilities that are inherent in the technology they're using if they do continue to use it I understand in many cases they've invested a lot of money and and they've got relationships uh, But it's really important that we're not shooting ourselves in the foot that there's a lot that can be done on the front side by Companies to help to protect to protect themselves.
0: So just as buff, Can I just unpack that for one quick second for those who don't know when you say zero days define that for us
1: So a zero day is an exploit that is not known uh, by anybody other than the actors. So an actor has found uh, a vulnerability. It's essentially similar to, you find a key to somebody's door, but they don't know that they they lost their keys
0: Hmm. or they don't
1: know that their lock is broken and the adversary is going in and out. Uh, They've got the ability to to glean all the intelligence, the information and the data that's on that network and potentially to disrupt that network. So it's especially, Uh, crippling for companies because they're just not aware that it's there. In some cases, you know, there are known vulnerabilities and then shame on people for not going and fixing them. uh, That We see that quite a bit as well. But when you've got a zero day and you've not even had the opportunity to fix it, that's a problem.
0: And and one other clarification of what you've said so far, is Microsoft more prone to this than others? I mean, I just want to clarify the Microsoft reference. Well, I
1: Look, Microsoft is the most ubiquitous, ubiquitous software on the planet right? sure. it's been around for 35 years. Everybody is using Microsoft it, to one extent or another, and um, and because of the breadth and depth of their software, how uh, frequently they're being used and how uh, regularly they're being used. Um, there's it's just just by looking at the numbers, it's a, a small percentage of Microsoft equals a large percentage of, of vulnerabilities across the entire threat landscape. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's the number of software products and then the operating system itself, and then th- this issue about legacy operating systems. There are times when, um, when vendors move to another version of an operating system at some point they stop supporting their old software meaning they're not putting out patches anymore if there are identified vulnerabilities and companies that have invested money and they don't they don't want to reinvest in newer software or newer technology understandably it's a big expense but what they're doing uh, is leaving themselves quite vulnerable because the vendors no longer supporting it they're not going to help fix it. And at some point, it's going to be exploited. One of the things the adversaries do, Diane, they've got um, they've got crawlers essentially that are constantly, in an automated way, searching for vulnerabilities on the network, and they know what versions of software are vulnerable. They have the exploits uh, that they're able to use to um, to get through that, or bypass that vulnerability. So they're constantly searching in an automated way. So, where many times we see companies that are targeted specifically because of who they are. For example, we know that China is interested in energy or China is interested in high tech. Yeah. Um, specifically targeting those types of companies. But using um, these search protocols and these automated um, uh, vulnerability finders, um, you might just be a victim because of the software you're running where uh, an organized crime group is looking to deploy ransomware. So, you know, companies need to understand that uh, while they might not be targeted specifically, they absolutely can be the victim of an opportunistic attack.
0: You mentioned um, automation, of course, you know, with automation it sort of pivots over to the new tools we have. And I think less about prevention and more about containment perhaps, or flagging alerts. What, how has AI changed the picture on both fronts, the attacked and the attackers?
1: Yeah, great question. So um, first of all, we've been using AI for uh, for more than a decade at, at CrowdStrike, and I'll, I'll talk about that in a minute. I think that for the average person, um, the concept of AI is really brought about because of the recent um, kind of proliferation of generative AI where mm-hmm. uh, the average person can go and make a query, um, ask a very structured question and get a pretty complex response back that would take you know, hours or days to do the research to pull it together and generative AI is helping to automate that and to make it much, much faster. But the use of AI, essentially the ability to go through large swaths of data has been around for a long time. Mm-hmm. Um, We've used it because we use it to identify anomalous activity in behavior patterns of, of people. Um, so for example, if we know that a particular user um, logs in Monday to Friday, nine to five, and these are the type of tasks or applications that they're typically using, um, that's uh, expected behavior. But if we see somebody um, who is now logging in at 2 a.m. on a Saturday morning and they're going to applications they've never touched before or they're taking, um, uh, they're, they're uh, elevating their uh, access. This is unexpected behavior, anomalous behavior and it would indicate that there's a problem there. So AI essentially is used to look at large swaths of data over a very compressed time. And for a defender, it's of great value. Um, unfortunately, we're seeing adversaries that are able to use generative AI to craft malware, and people mm-hmm. who are less sophisticated than some of the actors that we've seen over the last decade or so that are able to get into the hacking game because AI has provided them as a tool the ability to uh, augment their skill set, their limited skill set. Um, so, so more
0: amateurs getting into the system? What would be the absolutely. net result?
1: Well, more, more bad people trying to access your system. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, when you, when you look at, uh, as a security professional, you're trying to defend networks. You need to know who the adversaries are, what are the vulnerabilities you're going to exploit, what's the impact that you're going to have. Those are some of the considerations you make when you try to identify risk to your enterprise if you've got more actors that are getting involved and they're looking at uh, vulnerabilities, perhaps different than than the type of vulnerabilities that a nation state might look at, um, it's just an added risk into your environment. Tie that to, um, you know, you mentioned phishing earlier. It's still, it, it's, a, it's a relatively easy type of an attack, but it's still one of the most significant types of attacks that we see because it still works. Yeah. So you AI, um, adversaries can craft very believable emails. Uh, I, I think historically, one of the things um, security professionals would say is when you're looking at a, at an email, you know, look for, um, look for bad spelling or poor grammar. The email address. That, yeah, well, the email address is certainly one of the areas, but the crafting of the message itself, because oftentimes uh, non-native English speakers are, are utilizing... Uh, email to launch their malware. Well, now you can have people who don't speak English well or at all, and they're able to craft a a message that looks like it's been prepared by a native speaker. So um, it's just become much more believable and much more of a concern, I think, because of the capabilities of AI and new people getting into the space because they recognize they can make a lot of money.
0: So, Sean, I want to ask about the um, external versus internal, and I mean that on a country border point of view. Um, We often hear about, you know, hackers that are somewhere in Eastern Europe, somewhere in Russia, somewhere in China. Do you have any sense as to um, how many of the threats are coming from outside the U.S. versus inside? I don't even know if it frankly makes a difference, but I am curious if you've noticed any change in that respect.
1: Um, Well, it does make a difference. Um, It makes a difference because the actors are going to continue to come after the networks until they're physically stopped. Mm -hmm. Um, And when you've got actors that are operating outside the confines of the U.S. um, from a nation like Russia, China, Iran, North Korea, um, the U.S. government uh, is not going to have the capability to actually stop those people from launching these attacks because they're protected from the government. We don't have extradition treaties. We supported don't have supported
0: by the government off sometimes too, obviously, right? Sorry? So oftentimes supported by the four that you mentioned.
1: Hundred percent. They're in oftentimes they it is the government of the other nation and of course they're not gonna they're not gonna hand over members of their own intelligence community. From a from a defensive perspective, um, I don't know that it matters because the attack is the attack. It's, it's important, I think, for network defenders to understand who's attacking them because you might identify certain tactics or procedures that they're using. It might help you better detect uh, the adversary. It might help you um, uh, looking forward. It might allow you to be more proactive to find an adversary before they launch an attack if you know who they are, and oftentimes that's associated Uh, with their geolocation, you know, if it's a Russian actor, a Chinese actor, they're typically going after different types of things within the environment. They have different intelligence requirements that are guiding them on the networks to target and the intelligence or the data on that network to target. So in terms of percentages, I think um, that the majority of what we're seeing is still external actors. Uh, But there certainly are actors domestically inside the United States, uh, organized crime groups and others that are uh, that are targeting companies for a large financial gain through ransomware and extortion and other types of economic attacks.
0: Do you think as we head into an election year, are we better prepared to handle um, any sort of digital espionage in essence or, or attacks in terms of the elections that will be taking place?
1: Um, I I think we're better off in that we know about it. I think that, um, you know, the companies and, and individuals are aware of it. Um, I still think that networks are vulnerable and the system itself is potentially vulnerable because of how it's, how it's structured. I also believe that, um, on the heels of 2016 and to a lesser extent 2020, um, that there are more adversary groups that are aware of the impact of those prior attacks and again you know the more people that you get into the space the more actors that are trying to get through your front door or climb up through a window the bigger opportunity there is for uh, a vulnerability to be exploited and to have some type of an impact so you know the the electoral process the election system in the US is widely dispersed, and there are a lot of different parts of the system. It's not centralized, so there are mm-hmm. a lot of different parts of the system that can be targeted, whether it be um, the election rolls, uh, you know, the registrants, uh, maybe it's, it's where uh, data is collected, maybe it's in the reporting process, uh, maybe it's targeting the media that's reporting something so that um, it impacts people. And then on the front side of the election process, this whole concept of misinformation and disinformation where we know for a fact that nation states are putting out information in the United States specifically to create chaos, to sow division, uh, to cause people to question uh, their fellow Americans, to create this divisiveness, and to put out information about certain candidates. And I think when you you know, We go back to the AI question and the ability to manipulate data, the mm-hmm. ability to manipulate um, audio and video, uh, I think that that is going to be used as part of the seeding of uh, social media in advance of the election to try and persuade people to vote one way or the other. The, the last thing I'll mention, Diane, because I think it's really important as it relates to the elections. 2024, there are going to be dozens of elections around the world in democracies, and the U.S. is not the only nation being targeted. We know that the election systems have been targeted previously in France and in Germany, um, in Israel. Um, Those nations have come forward and talked about it. Germany, another one, they've, they've been public what their intelligence services have identified. And when I think about you know, I mentioned the big four actors, Russia, China, Iran, North Korea. Uh, while the United States is certainly in their crosshairs as uh, likely their biggest adversary, certainly in, not the,
0: the only the one. List, um, um, bef-
1: they're not the only one.
0: Let, let me I know we have to sum up, um, but let me ask you another few questions very quick questions. One is, if I were to hand you a wand, uh, Sean, and you could wave it, what would you change in in that respect to actually make societies less vulnerable to these actors right now? Obviously, public education, in fact, we're discussing it now, but is there anything, um, any levers that could be pulled that are not being at the moment?
1: Well, I, th- th- there are there are cer- certainly quite a few, and you know it would be a comprehensive process. There's no no single point of failure. There's it's a whole continuum. Um, I would say it would start with certainly the awareness level. You mentioned education. That's critically important. Um, and then next to that is this whole piece about shoring up your infrastructure internally. So you should have the best technology. Um, because the most current technology is going to be less vulnerable to attackers. Mm-hmm. Um, you need to have the right security technology in place that helps you identify this anomalous behavior. Uh, that's critically important. Uh, you have to have the right processes and policies and you have to have the right leadership in the company uh, where not only do they recognize this as is an issue, that this is a risk, but they're willing to invest time and energy and money to protect their assets and to protect their Uh, their customers, their data, their employees, Uh, that's really, really important. Um, And then I I guess, you know, I I go back to this concept of actors that are operating in a place where they can't be touched, so they operate with impunity, uh, and it goes on indefinitely. Um, I think that there's going to have to be a a much more direct and specific conversation, nation state to nation state, about what's acceptable and what's not. and and what the consequences are if you cross one of those red lines you know we've seen adversaries targeting critical infrastructure like water and electric power and you know in in the physical world um, in the kinetic world there are certain um, requirements and certain um, uh, processes for assuring those things don't get targeted i think you have to see the same thing in the digital world
0: Yeah. well i look forward to continuing the conversation thank you for you know, raising our awareness of some of the issues, obviously many more to come and um, appreciate your time. Look forward to speaking to you in the new year. Thanks, Diane, I really appreciate it. Safe and happy new year to you. Thank you.